1: I think I'm entitled You Want answers. I Want the Truth! You can't handle
0: the truth. Hey free thinkers, welcome back to another episode of the Free Thought Project Podcast. My name is Jason Bassler and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor-in-chief Matt Agorist. So our guest this week is an OG and a legend amongst the Liberty community. This week we spoke with Jack V. Lloyd. Now, Jack has numerous projects, but the most notable is probably his Voluntarius comic book, which has been in publication for a decade. He also has the Zero State podcast and runs various pages like The Honest Teacher and Anarchy Ball OG. He even recently wrote a book entitled The Definitive Guide to Libertarian Voluntarism, which we talked about. It's always a blast talking with Liberty OGs, and this podcast was a lot of fun, so I think you'll enjoy it. So welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast, Jack. Uh, Definitely stoked to have you on. It's been a while since we've chatted, so this definitely should be fun. Uh, In my opinion, you're one of the smartest voluntarists on the Internet. Uh, You're certainly one of the most productive and active. You have so many projects, I don't think I could even name all of them, but hopefully we could talk about some of those, uh, including your new book. But I also wanted to get into the gun control debate a little bit. Uh, Maybe we could talk about the Libertarian Party and how they're under new management. And a few other timely topics, as we might just jump around a bit, uh, because you're sharp and I kind of want to pick your brain. Uh, But first, maybe we should just start with the basics about who you are and the work you do. Also, your awesome wife, Foe, or or the philosopher, um, for those who don't know. And uh, yeah, just kind of give a little background um, about how long you've been doing this for our audience that might not be familiar with you.
2: Sure, yeah. Uh, So yeah, I'm Jack, and uh, I've been... Ah, uh, kind of in this liberty scene for over 15 years now, uh, which I guess I don't know if that makes me older, or younger, or something like that. But yeah, for for how much <laughs> people cycle in and out, I guess it makes me ancient. Uh, but the 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 path to that was, you know, not from you know growing up with this type of stuff. When, you know, when I grew up, I grew up in a relatively, I guess you could say conservative christian household evangelical um definitely was around a lot more people of the republican neocon type um so you know i was all about like yeah war woo uh, support israel throw the money you know that kind of stuff so you, you know going from that <laughs> right yeah going from that to uh, being a full-fledged uh libertarian voluntarist uh was a journey and that journey had started when i was in college i was actually in My history class and the professor was talking about the american eugenics movement they were talking about buck v bell and the forcible sterilization of carrie buck because she was an epileptic and justice oliver wendell holmes said three generations of imbeciles is enough and so he sentenced her to be forcibly sterilized and i was like oh wow okay i never heard about that before and that really shocked me so it it led to me doing a whole new (laughs) view at what history is and what it was and kind of rereading and re- researching everything that i thought i knew and that led me on a path of of going down a whole bunch of different rabbit holes i was you know definitely big into alex Show. It's way back then you know uh, the end game uh days and then of course later a bomb deception stuff like that so those types of, of videos that were you know gaining virality in the early days of youtube definitely inspired me to do more research and look into things and see what's true what's false and then uh, you know getting into it with some friends in college uh, some people who would eventually go on to be a part of the free state project and things like that challenged me and then i came to a point where I stumbled across this website called the No State Project by Mark Stevens, and there was a quote on this that said, "Should goods and services be provided the barrel of a gun?" And I was like, oh, "You know, uh, can't say that. You know, ethically, I believe in that." And that kind of flipped me to being a full-on voluntarist, which, for those you know who don't know, it just means someone who wants to maximize consent and minimize the initiation of a physical force against others in all interactions. So I, I kind of rejected the state as a, as a paradigm. I thought it was unethical, and that kind of solidified myself as a voluntarist by about, uh, t- early, I would say late 2009, early 2010 arena. So I've been, you know, a full on, you know, voluntarist for sure for over 12 years now and a libertarian, at least in the big L sense for over 15. So.
1: Wow. That's a long time, man. That's longer than Jason and I, for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it,
2: I mean, yeah, it's, it's been a Yeah. Wild journey for sure. Uh, and then, you know, in, in doing that, of course, I, did all the different types of activisms you can imagine because, you know, as a student, you know, I did the small stuff where it's like, I would help out with the student group. I would lead and and organize events, you know, like things you can do with like flex your rights seminars, like showing people how to flex their rights, uh, you know, speakers and stuff like that, uh, sign waving, going out protesting. Um, I was at the Ron Paul festival in 2012, helping out with the vendor booth there. So I did a lot of like the, the kind of typical stuff that someone might do when they're new to the, to the scene, you know, with just whatever you can do, sign waving or door knocking, phone banking and the like. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm ready to do something that's, you know, more creative and engaging and to, and to try to you know, combine my talents, uh, with something more Liberty oriented. And that led me to doing, um, some memes, then eventually the voluntarist comic book series that I developed, um in 2012 and i'd you know done some stuff leading up to that but you know actually set out to do the comic book series and then along the way you know during those years that i was doing the comic book it it drew attention to other projects and things i was doing and i got involved with this page called anarchy ball and helped produce a lot of content with them and and ball comics that kind of brought ancapism or anarcho-capitalism to the mainstream internet sense that hadn't been there before, um, it, it, you know, it really wasn't like very well known before that it was more like people knew about Ron Paul, you know, Ron Paul was like the big national thing that was like, Oh, libertarianism like that. He was the, the kind of the siren for that. Um, but, but then the internet culture and the meme culture and stuff like that, that really, uh, got me going. And then I create a bunch of other different pages and brands and other things like that and got involved with all kinds of projects, you know, and I could talk about those you know all day, you know, but, uh, that's kind of the gist of that journey intellectually and then into kind of the beginnings of some of my change from just being kind of like a passive activist, you know, to, to being a creator, a kind of creator.
0: Damn, man, that definitely fills in some of the blanks for me. I mean, we've been friends now and and talking for a while and yeah, yeah, I guess I didn't realize you come from that background. And, um, yeah, I think we all kind of do that initial work when we first start to kind of wake up, we just want to get involved. Um, you were also, I don't want to say completely um, responsible, but you had a big part in the whole taxation is theft uh, meme and motto as well, right? That went viral mm-hmm. in like what, 2017 or so? That was
2: right. somewhere so, that? Yeah, it, it was a funny story. So why it sticks out for me and sometimes I get flack for it because some people like to be like, oh, you claimed like you had the taxation stuff. Like, no, I never said it. Like I never created the phrase like Rothbard said a long time ago. But in terms of that becoming like a mainstream internet thing, and since right. I was that involved with all the creators and, and the pages stuff like that, like I was very aware, I, I you know, I tracked the metric, I checked where things were going and there was this kind of discussion debate um, at the time. This was in, um, I guess you could say early 2016 and people were deciding, Oh, is taxation stuff. Is that too radical? And they were trying to, you know, downplay it and say, Oh, you know, you're just alienating people and that doesn't explain stuff. And I got really annoyed at that. It was, it was actually a, like kind of like a a point of anger for me. I was like, Okay, you know what? Screw you. If you think I can't, you know, post this stuff, you know, what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make it go viral. So I, I took this, you know, seven uh, things every kid must hear thing that had, you know, gotten popular independently it was created by somebody sure. else. I'm gonna slip in taxation stuff because I knew people would just read it quickly at the top and not read down the list and share it. Right? It's just a thing. It's like you know, sometimes people they're just scrolling quick. It's like, oh, I like this. I'm gonna save this for later. And I knew that I could hack in that way. And so I did that, and it went. Very viral through Anarchy Ball. I mean, you know, in terms of the internet culture at that time, you know, we're talking ultimately, you know, tens of thousands of shares and it really starting to like kick off because suddenly people saw this thing that they, you know, can't unsee, right? Like, that's the cool part about memes is that you can't unsee the meme, right? Once it's there, sure. it's too late, it's in and your with head.
0: the genie back in the bottle. Yep.
2: You know, you could stop a video, you can turn off your TV, you can turn, you know, turn away from a protest, something like that. But on a meme, it, it's too late. Once it scrolls past your eyes, as long as it's not wall text, whatever, they're, someone's going to see it, and then that's it. Now their brain is just interacting with that, and they have to challenge that in their head. And for many people, it's like, oh, what do you mean taxation? Thing? You know, so um it was it was a very conscious, intentional thing that I did. Um, you know, trying to make that happen. I wasn't the only person, of course, who ever, you know, made anything like that, but it was it was a very significant marker and a change in acceptability and inspired a lot of people to then themselves go and do other things in that zone and to actually like uh you know promote it and and do different ways of, of you know i guess you could say wake people up i think of uh cory watkins he was yeah like,
1: he did that i was about to bring him up he did the, the baseball game where he sat behind home plate and stood up with a taxationist theft shirt that was awesome man
2: right and that was in april so i posted this stuff um mid-february about or mid-late late february and then later on he went and went to the game and he you know had his big green shirt boom went on tv <laughs> i mean and tons of other stuff too. I mean, just amazing viral videos. Like I'm sure people have seen that uh, video of the guy who like, he blasts a, uh, I think it's a beer and he's like, you know, taxation is theft. It's like, Woo! and like, you know, shoots the beer can and drinks it kind of thing. Like what, the, you know, stuff, <laughs> um, you know, later on, I also, you know, produced the taxation is stuff, uh, video with, uh, the philosopher. So, you know, if you've ever seen that video, like I know that video was posted on being libertarian. It had like four million plus views. It got re-uploaded to a bunch wow. of different pages. I think even uh, you know, your guys' page at some point um had re-uploaded that. And you know, it, it just it continued to build and grow and grow, uh, and lots of the people f- were suddenly getting comfortable with it. It was no longer this like, oh, you know, you're just gonna make people not, you know, like you or not get it. So you know, that's that's kind of like a good microcosm of what I do is I I do things that are you know guerrilla media tactics to challenge people and get them to uh, move the Overton window, get them to challenge themselves and, and think about way things in ways that they normally wouldn't. So, you know, it, it's just a part of, uh, of having fun, but also really getting people to think even when, you know, they're programmed to not think.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. Planting seeds by any means necessary. That's, that's the way I like to put it, but it, it feels like uh, that was kind of, Oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. I was just
1: going to say, and it's still going. Um, you had a, the, they had a, a Congresswoman from, uh, Cal- Colorado, Lauren Bobear, uh, ran with on her platform right after she got elected. She she had a tweet go mega viral for saying taxation is theft. I mean, she's obviously a hypocrite for <laughs> for indulging in taxation, you know, but still we, we covered it back then. That was just last year. So it's still it's still going strong, you know.
2: Absolutely, I mean the penetration on that uh, has been, just been incredible. I mean, Turning Point USA they co-opted it and started to put signs. Um, if you think like Lauren Chen, who's you know formerly I guess Roman millennial, you know she has that in her Twitter bio. Like so many different people ended up adopting it because they realized that this was kind of the radical messaging that people really got excited about. It was the modern version, in my opinion, of people say no taxation without representation, right? That was the big mantra with the American revolution. I think today the new, you know, second American revolutionary spirit is taxation is theft. I think that's kind of the new wave. And I think that especially, um, got a lot of fanfare within the two way community. Um, I saw even on, uh, Iraq veteran eight, 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 his co-host had a Thomas Jefferson taxation staff shirt at one point on his show, you know, and, and you can really just see, um, these types of things being permeated into the culture, into the alternative platforms and people readily adopting them, uh, and, and, and just being, you know, less unnerved about it.
0: Yeah. And that was, uh, at the, the, the very end of the golden era for social media as well. Yeah. So I'm sure, um, yeah. you know, we were, we were reaching a lot more people back then. So, um. And for you know our audience, I mean, sometimes we have uh, people who are maybe not quite in tune with the philosophy as we are. So, if somebody just happened to stumble into this conversation, this uh, podcast, this interview, uh, can you like briefly just explain why taxation is theft, like in the quickest possible
2: yeah. form? Yeah, I, the simplest thing that I, I communicate to people is just the idea that you as an individual, you don't typically believe that you have the right to just go to your neighbor's house and be like, you know, I'm going to take money out of your wallet. Oh, you know, I like that pain. I'm going to take it. And even if you sell it and maybe give that money to someone who's in need, like, you know, someone is homeless, you wouldn't think that that's ethical. You're depriving someone of their property. It's, it's done without their consent. And you <laughs> at a bare minimum would not want that done to you, right? You wouldn't want to like come home after work and you're like, Hey, where's my TV? And then your neighbor's like, Oh, I sold it, but don't worry. I gave it to, you know, this uh, shelter down the road, you know? So it's very empathetically relatable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's like it's it's very empathetically relatable to understand that consent does matter. Uh, each person values having their consent respected. In fact, it's it's just logically impossible to want your consent to be disrespected because by definition, if you want something to happen, uh, that means you're consenting to it. You, you're literally saying, yeah, I want this to happen. So how can you do something, or, or how can you delegate something to government that you don't even have a right to do as an individual, right? And that's what it boils down to: is you can't say, "Well, the government, I'm going to, you know, this government of the people, I'm going to give you the right to do something that I don't have." It, you know, it's it's a non-existent thing. So you, the whole idea that government can do this is just a farce. It's it's an ethical standard that is totally different in an apartheid ethical system from individual ethics that no other person could do. Even if you got a hundred neighbors or a thousand or 10,000 neighbors to sign a paper saying, well, we get to have your car, right? That you worked really hard to finally pay off. You'd be like, no, that's not right. You know what I mean? That's not yours just because you scribble on paper. So that, that's what I try to focus on and, you know, and, and the ethics side. And of course the discussions thereafter after that, you know, come out are like, well, how did we fund this or that? And that's, you know, it's whole other <laughs> topic. Sure. So.
1: It, it essentially uh, provokes a deeper thought too, because if you delve into taxation as theft, then that's theft of your actual labor. You know, if you look at it because taxation is on your income and then they're, they're, they're actually stealing the product of your labor, which is slavery, you know, so that's the, you know, people you can ask, uh, at what point of my, uh, you know, income can you take with where I'm not a slave? You know, I, I wrote, we wrote a big long thing about this, uh, years ago. And, realized like when jason and i were uh first started out uh, the free thought project like that we were getting you know taxed to death back then and that when we were actually making some money and uh it's like i realized that for like 40 percent of the year i'm working directly for the u.s government you know and i'm like this is this is ridiculous man i should be you know people should be up in arms about this you know and they're not, you know, outside of the like the the cognitive dissonance that the right attached themselves to the taxation is theft meme. You know, it's still it's there's people that say it for, you know, they give it um, lip service, but there's still not a big tax revolt, you know. And I think that I don't know what the solution is to get that. I know I'm scared to death not to pay taxes because I don't want to go to jail and be taken away from my children and everything, you know. So there's a there's a much larger conversation to be had. And, and if we could mobilize people into that direction, you know. What do you think would like help get people to start doing like a big tax revolt or something like that? Do you think you see that as a solution or anything?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously in, in terms of like aggregate, of course, if lots of people don't comply, like it becomes very difficult to enforce. I think that the government, you know, has the ability though to selectively enforce and to, and to really terrorize people, which is its own problem. So for me, I typically advocate resistance to those things in, in two major ways. Um, One is of course, educating people on, thinking about ways to fund what government does, you know, at least the ethical parts in terms of pure action, not, you know, inception, but pure action, like just roads or something like that, without relying on taxation. So I try to get people to think about how that could be done without it being from forcible takings and, oh, you're gonna go to jail if you get, you know, one little thing wrong on your IRS form. And I, you know, I bring up the nature of lotteries and raffles and, you know, advertisement and other types of things to get people to start to see that this type of stuff already exists, right? I don't have to actually make up anything new. The government already does this. There's already state lottos. They literally fund billions of dollars. They have donative efforts. Like, you know, they have fire departments that have volunteer firefighters. They have, you know, drives with boots and they like, you know, do events and stuff like that. So what I try to say is, hey, what if that's expanded, And we get rid of this taxation thing. And now we just start to move toward actual voluntary solutions, you know, toward funding those needed services. And then, of course, in the process as well, think about how to have things in the free market come about to also outmode those where they're just inefficient. So I I think about like that. And then the political side is is more so like nullification, secession type of stuff. Um, I think that, you know, you, you see a lot of that already in the world around us with so many states legalizing marijuana and that being despite marijuana being a schedule one drug, which is literally according to the federal government, you know, no medical benefit. Right. Okay. Um, yet all these different governments are, are literally standing up against the federal government. And I'm like, yeah, see that that's, that's real. That's tangible. You see it in action. This is not a hypothetical and it's been expanded to other things, you know, besides, you know, maybe a sanctuary cities, but like, you know, gun rights issues with Texas saying, yeah, you know, what suppressors made here? Guess what? Too bad. Screw, you know, the NFA. So, I think that those are real things that you can bring to the table and actually get people to kind of take a pause and think about it and be like, oh, okay. You know, there is something to this, There, there really is a practical, example of how you can nullify and think outside the state and think about how things can be funded voluntarily. And I think the more people are able to relate to that in the real world, the less it becomes just, you know, theory and just like, you know, oh, this is just in your head or something like that. I think it's, it's very easy to get people to start to go down that pipelining once they see some practical examples of this. And you're just like, yeah, and we're just more of that. That's it. So
1: good point. Sure.
0: Yeah. The practical examples, the the philosophy, the theory behind it, I, I, of break it down as well um, into like a moral and pragmatic uh, both of them kind of having different implications Um, obviously you know we just talked about like the consent aspect of things i think that's more of like the moral side of things but the pragmatic in the sense that whenever an institution or entity uh, extracts uh, using coercion extracts funds using coercion they have zero incentive to really be accountable to be effective to be efficient uh unlike the market you know the market you actually have to provide value to people i mean this is kind of like the basics for us but just in case anybody's listening you know um and uh yeah so i mean th- there's you know there's definitely a bunch of bunch of issues with taxation and one of the other ones would be like how would many of these things that society tends to find undesirable like the drug war uh the highest prison population of the planet um the no-knock raids, the nation building, the policing the world, the, the training and funding, you know, terrorists, in the Middle East, like how would all that stuff actually be funded without taxation? I mean, it wouldn't be, you know, so we also have to keep in, in mind, kind of like what you're saying, that these, the taxation actually funds some of the things that are undesirable in society as well. And I, I guess, you know, we we're talking about the philosophy a second ago, it's like, how did the left get so confused uh, with kind of just going along and actually being especially especially progressives and liberals being kind of on the side of taxation when uh, they're obviously so against consent when it comes into like sexual activity or in the bedroom or whatever it's such like an important virtue for them to, to uphold consent but yet when it comes to society and our economic value being stolen from us like how do they get so confused on that is this just the social contract and that whole clusterfuck or you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on it
2: um, for me, I mostly see it as uh, them lacking like actual uh, principles in terms of their ideology. I think a lot yeah. of leftism is about outcome based things or utilitarianism. So they they have an emotional reaction to problems and they just want to see the outcome change. And they haven't really thought about, OK, yeah, but what are you doing that you're you're getting to that point with? Right. They're like, oh, yeah, there's people starving. And they're like, oh, well, I guess if we just tax the rich and then magically, you know, people will not be hungry. But They don't think about the implications in the end what's and the principles of what's being done to people, you know, in that process of taxation. So that's, that's the most typical thing that I see in, in discussing that with someone who comes from, um, a, a more mainstream progressive bent is that they're very much uh, outcome focused, like, Oh, a problem. Okay. You got to just put a, you know, fix that problem. You got to put bandit on that problem. They don't think about the implications about what they're advocating for and the harms that can come about and the unintended consequences. And then the end, what, and the day after day after, uh, when they make their advocacies. So, you know, for many of them, uh, it. It's it's tough because they have to learn how to think you know clearly and logically for some of those things and if not able to do that or if they struggle a lot then you have to really emphasize the counter emotional which is okay yeah you think that you know taxation is funny, these good things but look at all the people who are dying in the Middle East because let's look at the drug war and look at all the people in prison right so you're sitting here saying oh this is gonna you know help healthcare but let's look at reality right is that really helping healthcare. Are these people sure. really doing what they're saying with it? Are they actually 30 trillion in debt, spending a trillion and a half on a failed F-35 and blowing up kids in the Middle East and weddings and stuff like that? So, you know, you can use the emotional to bring it back, you know, on that, but it's may not be as sustainable without, you know, really getting the principles down.
1: And that's, that's what's so crazy is that the left has deviated so much from all that stuff you just said. The left was against all the wars. They were against killing brown children in the Middle East. They were against like xenophobia, like all these different... They were they were inclusive. They wanted everybody to be together and like they have swayed so far from that. And just the last five years or so, it was like the Trump derangement syndrome was is a real thing. You know, now it's like everything is appeals to emotion and um, and that's basically it. Like they, they want to rule by emotional decree. And, and and most of it is illogical. They 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 react instead of actually plot out anything like you just said. What do you think like was the impetus and the that kickstarted that? Do you think it's just was it solely Trump that drove these people insane or, or uh, you think there's something else that was building up before him?
2: Yeah, no, I, the change was a specific, I think, psychological warfare operation. Uh, Occupy had gotten a lot of success 2008 to 2012. I mean, there was a pretty broad base, uh, I would say, a unification of people, you could say. On that libertarian to left side spectrum, much like there is somewhat of a change today in the libertarian to uh, conservative spectrum uh, in terms of fighting the the cronyism and the the bailouts and stuff like that. So once that was really starting to come to a head, and there was some meaningful change, you know, starting to to coalesce, um, there was a unified effort by much of the major uh, academic and media institutions to start implanting. Um, I guess you could say in, in, in the logical sense, all or nothing thinking, but really it's uh, divisive tactics based on race and class in media reporting. So it's very specific post-2012 that increased the number of articles that dealt with uh, basically any type of issue and labeling it as oh, white man does this, black man does this, rich do this. So they started to change how things were framed to redivide people after the unification was starting to come to a head. So that's what the, you know, those are the government, of course, always love doing, right? You know, Co and Operation Barber, they love uh, doing things to get people divided as soon as they start to see people becoming unified. So that though is is starting to, to, to come to its own struggles with the government to be able to effectively maintain those narratives because at this point, thanks to the internet, thanks to people being able to share things more readily, have video and live streams of stuff, People are not getting as readily duped. You know, the event 201 stuff and the, you know, the planned panic of, of 2020, that really caused a lot of people to, like, have that initial reaction. But the the, the changes that came after that and the awakenings really solidified people against government narratives at this point. And I'd say thanks to a lot of, of great people who did. Uh, you know, Wonderful work in exposing this, like Dr. Peter McCullough and you know Joe Rogan, having on multiple people to you know talk about this and calling out uh, the mainstream institutions and the harms that were caused, you know, to people by hiding solutions. You could say uh, it really has solidified, I think, people uh, against the state in in a, a unique way, where it's it's become much harder. For people to be as broadly manipulated as they once were, the exodus from the mainstream uh, media and from the you know government uh, talking uh, heads has never been you know brighter and bigger. And it's because across the spectrum, you know, and they went really too far. They really alienated some people on the alt left and on the alt right. And now you have people saying, okay, we're going to build the other platforms. We're going to exit. We're going to diversify. And it's it's become no longer, you know, readily controllable as it once was once people were like, yeah, we're just going to go to telegram and go to mines, you know, we'll have our own, you know, servers and stuff like that. So, you know, th- the net results of those in the state really trying to clamp down was an equal response of people actually building the infrastructure needed to get information out directly to people, um, outside of those mainstream, you know, typical channels that are now mostly owned by the big corporate press uh, channels and Google and stuff like that. So
0: that's actually one of the things I was going to say. I don't think it's just uh, media and academia. I think it's also corporations. I mean, they've really taken on this, this role recently of white knighting for social justice issues. And it's almost like they're lockstep within the mainstream. uh, And it's like all, all, all three of those have become kind of one entity when it comes to Uh, positions and perspectives, uh, which is interesting. Um, A second ago, you were talking about kind of like the outcome-based thinking from the left. Uh, We're not, I mean, we're seeing that right now with the gun control debate. I mean, we're like knee deep in it right now with, you know, calling for more and more gun control. I mean, even though it was quite clear that police failed in this instance in Uvalde, uh, it's quite clear that gun control doesn't work in Chicago, Of course, all the other implications involved with monopolizing and centralizing authority uh, and a monopoly of guns. Um, Just recently, the governor of New York outlawed body armor. Uh, We saw several other mainstream publications like Rolling Stone allude to it being a step in stopping uh, mass shootings. In your opinion, on a scale from one to ten, like how crazy is this thinking?
2: Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's absolutely 10 because it, it doesn't have anything to do with any of the... I mean, literally, none of the none of the mass shootings ever been like, oh, man, if only that shooter didn't have body armor, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, that makes no sense. It's not what killed the people in the first place. They didn't, and it, you know what I mean? It's like, I think the last time I saw anyone have any meaningful help from body armor was like, it was this, I think it was in like the mid-90s, like 96. There was this guy who was like bank, robbing a bank or something like that. Yeah, yes,
1: like, all that. Right,
2: huge level. We're talking like... Yeah,
1: leg body armor, back body armor. Yeah, yeah. Just
2: talking like a plate here. uh, Yeah, and he had machine guns and stuff. You know, this is way, you know, almost 30 years ago. So that, you know, that kind of thing, sure. But anything else, no. I mean, these, these, the mass shooters go to places where they know people don't have arms in the first place because they know that that's just easy, right? It's this, it's not crazy. It's not hard to, to figure out that, oh man, you know, these psychos are like, I want to go where I'm going to be able to do the most damage and not be able to be stopped. Oh wow. Surprise. So, you know, that's what they do. They go to places where I'm always gonna be able to do anything. And the body armor is just never even a, a calculation. Like this is literally, I can't even think of any situation in terms of what people consider, you know, your typical mass shooting that they're worried about, where it's like, oh, I'm at the movies. I'm at, you know, the mall, I'm at school or something like that, where, oh man, that, that, you know, level four, plate or something like that is what allowed them to somehow survive long enough to keep killing like never it's they do all their stuff already and the police come in and then whatever they take their time and you know let us let them finish doing the job the fbi gave them and then uh you know they <laughs> they take them out or he takes himself out you know so it's, it's just really kind of silly but i i think that what will be interesting on the legal side of that will be that body armor may not be necessarily what's viewed at least in the courts as being something that's like core second amendment because it's not, you know, the arms part. So that might actually withstand constitutional scrutiny because it's not actually, you know, a firearm. Um, But, you know, that said, New York continues to do some stupid stuff with trying to regulate things. And the more they do, it just creates more potential for those cases to move their way up to the U S Supreme court. And if they do, obviously the, the current make of the Supreme court is I would say, at least from my understandings overall, you know, more federalist society oriented, it's, it's wouldn't be too favorable for New York to say the least. So they are running some risks here in what they're doing in terms of gun control, because they are making the opportunity for it to actually go to the Supreme court. And if it does, it's not likely going to come out in their favor, at least from, you know, the current makeup
1: that New York tried to do it last year too. And I believe Congress tried it in 2015. And it's it's utterly asinine. As you said, it can't even be a second amendment a second amendment issue because it's it's passive, it's passive resistance to bullets, and that's it. You know, like it's it, the sole purpose of that is to make it easier for the state to kill you. Like yes. that's it. You know, and uh, I actually ended. I wrote an article about that yesterday, and I, I ended. I was like, the you know the the logic of this bill is basically like they what the next step in this would be making it illegal to hide behind things when being shot at you know mm-hmm. that's that's essentially what this is it's just yeah. this is just a, a barrier between you and a but and the fact that they think that they have the audacity to to think that they could ban something like that is is fucking crazy and i mean that it's like all the more reason to go out and buy body armor like right now if you're in new york listen to this go get some body armor before this comes into uh into play in at in, at the end of the month i mean it's that's what you need to do
0: <laughs> black markets are beautiful yeah
2: I wouldn't feel too safe as a New Yorker, though. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you
1: have we have the corporate press praising it. Like Rolling Stone yeah. put out an article right after Hochul uh, sure. passed the bill. You know, like yay, New York banned body armor. Like yeah. that's a win. Like how's that a win? It. Creating- Who's winning? Right. Yeah. They're definitely it's, creating it's a new
0: narrative about mm. this, and it's interesting to see how fast it, it popped up. Now. Um, Uvalde native Matthew McConaughey recently spoke at the White House, and it uh, seems like he's become, like, all of a sudden the, the face of uh, gun control. Um, now, he he actually advocated for red flag laws, and I know that's something you've done work on. You, you've done some work in that arena. Uh, just how dangerous is are these red flag laws, and is there any one example that you can kind of point to as, as being disastrous?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, red flag laws are... Pretty terrible, and for those that don't know, it's just it's laws that subvert your due process rights by lowering the standard under which your firearms can be taken by allegations that you know someone's a threat in some way. Um, and I would say one of the, the more interesting examples that I've seen was a, a Florida case where a man had posted just his uh, picture of his AR build online, so it was just him posting to social media. You know, hey, I just you know finished doing this thing, and because he was arguing on the internet separately, not on that post, but on a different post, uh, against gun control with a bunch of like anti, you know, gun activists, they decide to claim that this guy was a threat to them, uh-huh. and pointed to his picture of his AR build as a threat, and the Broward. Police who, especially at this time, were you know especially bad. I mean, they're still bad. But they decided to say, yeah, we'll, we'll go take his gun. So they did. And it cost him a pretty penny to get them back. The, the judge is like, yeah, no, this is this doesn't qualify at all. But it cost him thousands, maybe $10,000 with you know, his attorney fees to actually spend the time to have to fight this and then get the stuff back you know, do a motion for Rep. 11 and stuff like that. So that to me is is one of the scary things is that it's a it's a readily weaponized tool. Um, and, yes. you know, that has been used to in Colorado. There's instance of a woman who used it um, to go after someone she didn't like and made a false report. She did ultimately get charged in the end. But of course, the guy suffered the immediate consequences of having his stuff taken for a time and having to get it back. Sure. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's one of those issues where it sounds nice on paper. It sounds like, oh, you know, we're going to help people, you know, be able to stop, you know, mass killers before they do something. But in reality, it's, it's just dropping a due process to a point that it becomes weaponized as a means to disarm people. Um, so I, of course I'm against all red flag laws. Absolutely. And I think there are much better ways to deal with these situations, um you know proactively over red flag red flag laws uh, both on the government and non-government side so
1: we actually yeah. covered a story a couple of years ago when there was a mass shooter in california in davis california his name was um limbaugh kevin kevin limbaugh and he actually was red flagged they took his guns in like 2019 and he was banned from having them because he was found to be unfit like mentally unstable And somehow, you know, even after being red flagged, the dude gets possession of several more guns, goes on a mass shooting, kills a cop, you know, shoots several other people before uh, before taking his own life. So that not only does it remove due process for innocent people who could be accused of hearsay from their estranged wife or anything like that, but clearly it doesn't work. A criminal who wants to do harm is going to do harm no matter what. It always comes back to that point, you know. And so, yeah, like you said, there's, 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 so, there's much better ways. And so what, what would be a better way besides a red flag gun law to, to try to limit crazy people from doing harm like this?
2: Sure. So I think one of the common ones that comes up with this topic that people think of is someone who is, um, suffering from depression or suicidal because that's a very common intersection where people think about red flag. like, Oh, this guy's not doing too high. Like he's seemingly, you know, depressing, suicidal. We need to take his guns. And, you know, it's, it's laughable because I always say to people like, okay, so if this guy's already feeling pretty down about his life and he's contemplating something, you know, in terms of ending it, how is police barging into his house, breaking his stuff, stealing his stuff, going to make him less depressed right it's like you're not helping him with counseling you're not fixing the underlying problems of what's going on with you know in his life that he might feel that way in the first place so it's it's one of those things where it's like people are so out of touch with the solution like it, it doesn't even match the reality so to me i think um having the opportunity for people to be able to seek help without it leading to being flagged in the first place, I think that's just itself an important thing. Like there needs to be an outlet for people who can get help when when they are feeling that to not be stigmatized, to not have their stuff stolen, and to maybe be able to have stuff put away for safekeeping if if that's what they want or if that's, you know, what's needed without it becoming this huge process where they're having their stuff broken into and stolen and then dealing with court process and, and stigmas and labeling. And then, of course, after all that, not even getting help from anybody be I mean, like, oh, you're a threat to society. Well, we're going to take this stuff uh, and make it hard for you to get back and, you know, hurt, you know, your house, we kick in the door, uh, but good luck on your, on your mental health issues. Right. So <laughs> I think yeah, it's, it's, it's really ridiculous. So I, I think that that um, could be done in a, in a legal structural change, like just, you know, upending, of course, the red flag law in that way, making um, uh, the ability for someone to seek professional help. Um, in a way where it's not turned into some, you know, law case against them. I think that would be a, a really important. And I think in the social realm, um, one of those things is just being proactive with those who, you know, are seemingly, uh, you know, depressed or suicidal in that, in that way. Um, it's it's always good to reach out to friends and, to, and check on them, you know, ask, you know, how they're doing, uh, be a supportive help, um, you know, give references, you know, in case they need counseling and stuff like that. Um, and to not you know, instead, uh, use the violence of the state to threaten them, <laughs> and make their lives that much you know worse. You know, calling the state uh, to solve your problems in that way uh, typically does not end up <laughs> helping out the way you think it will. Uh, more it's, often than not, <laughs> it's going to make things yeah. worse.
1: So. Yeah, make go sell, go search that. welfare check on the freethoughtproject.com and see how well that works out.
2: Right. You know. I mean,
0: anytime. Anytime you dial 911, it's a roll of the dice, right? And to, yes. to assume that these red flag laws aren't going to be abused, just like no-knock raids aren't abused. I mean, you know, it's just naive at best, uh, dangerous at worst. Um, and of course, we have the example of Duncan Lemp as well uh, from, I think, what was it, two years ago now? I think it was 2020 in Maryland. Definitely check out that case, guys, if you want to learn more about it. Um, And even uh, Tim pool recently was swatted again for like what the 10th time or something last night. So, I mean, it's, it's obvious that, you know, law enforcement doesn't have any discernment uh, that they're not actually like connecting the dots. Like, Hey, this is the 10th time we're, we're going to the same studio. Like maybe this is a false alarm. Uh, So, I mean, at
1: what point do they become like responsible for this? Like at what point does their negligence, it should have been like three, right? (laughs) Like fucking 10 times. They raided this guy's house based on false calls, you know, swatting them. Like they, they have to bear some of the responsibility by now. I think this is like absolutely crazy that, that it, like the cops are in on it or something. You know, that, that doesn't make any sense to me.
2: I think um, one of the reasons what why, uh, why there was so many different ones too is my understanding is that uh, different departments were dialed in. So these people are pretty crafty. They maliciously went to like different counties and like different. You know subdivisions to try to change things up so they can keep Mm. you know loping in different departments to come out
1: Um, i mean how many departments are in tim pool's town i don't even know where he's located but like
2: (laughs) you could have county police you could have city or town police you have state police you have potentially at least three layers right yeah bureaucracy that you can cycle through potentially but I, I do agree. I think I was saying, you know, Tim should be suing over this and changing the case law about how police can do these types of raids. There ha, there has to be some, you know, stopping point that you can't just have this unlimited ability that, oh, someone called in. I guess we could raid your house. Like where's the there's literally no fourth amendment at that point. If anybody can just call in and get the police right. to, you know, go and raid your house, kick down the door, okay. Well, then this is, you know, meaningless. So I hope he does sue and, you know, I hope he has good attorneys that figure out a way to, to find some type of limit to it because without it, then there's no stopping it. Right. And there's literally, you know, and if there's enough bad actors who hide where they're calling from or switch off how they're you know calling from, you know, he, he, he get ready, getting ready every other week or whatever. I mean, this is crazy. So
1: I know. And the cops do have like, you know, they can't have it both ways. They can't not respond. And then we bitch at them for not responding. And then they do, you know, so I guess that at some point they do have to respond to these calls like that. But with all the police state gear that they have, all this tracking devices and everything, apparently whoever's calling in Tim pool is like really sophisticated. They must have some really good gear. Cause you can, they can triangulate a cell phone within a matter of minutes, you know, and like if they're responding to a house where a cell phone's calling from another County over, like that that that's negligent on their part right they can they can they can triangulate the position of this and they can see that it's not there and uh and like i said if if they're showing that the the call is coming from temple's residence where they do the podcast like that's pretty crazy and then that requires a whole investigation in and of itself you know maybe that's like some some spoofing technology that can clone locations and throw police off like that that's some sophisticated gear dude and i don't know that i mean temple has a lot of enemies but I'm not sure any of them have gear like that personal in their personal possession that seems like you might have to get like a clearance to even purchase <laughs> shit like that. But
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, someone yeah. could use like a landline relay or something like that, like old school technology to possibly do it. You know, that's how people would do that type of hacking back in the day. They would, you know, run something from some grandma's basement. You know what I mean? That doesn't know because they're, you know, just some elderly person. They sneak in the basement, and they go tap the phone line, you know, run a relay through that. So it like, you know, distances themselves from the actual source. So, I mean, right. it's possible. It, it's definitely possible to do, but it's, it's very frustrating. As you noted, it's, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. And it creates an incentive for police not to respond to actual events like what mm. we had in Uvalde, you know? So it's a, it's a twisted fucked up situation that people would even do that just to fuck with people to send the, you know, send the SWAT team. There mm. was Andrew Finch, you know, someone swatted him cause he beat him on Xbox or whatever. And, mm. uh, that, that the kid, the SWAT, SWAT his name was online or something like that. SWAT tastic or something. Yeah. And the cops went to Andrew Finch's house and he answered the door unarmed and they fucking murdered him right there, you know? And he yeah. was a dad and a husband and yeah. Right. So it's, it's just so fucked up. And that's, that's like it, the police incompetence in those type situations actually plays into the hand of people like SWATastic, you know, because they know that they can easily manipulate these people and do damage with them. Uh, hmm because that's the nature of the state and the beast you know that dude swatastic had swatted like dozens of people in the past and they only caught him after andrew finch was killed so Hmm. it's crazy
0: yeah not to mention this is primarily people on the left that are not happy with tim pool and i would assume there's some overlap with their uh resentment and um you know dissatisfaction with the police state as well. So it's just kind of ironic that they're, they're using the tool of the state while also disavowing the state and police. But you were, you were talking about mental health um, a few minutes ago, Jack, and uh, let me ask you, like, what were your thoughts on the recent drag kids to pride debacle that surfaced on the internet a couple of days ago, uh, which we covered, of course. Uh, it, it included children being accompanied by their parents to a drag show at a bar. And uh, along those same lines, have you seen the new documentary by Matt Walsh called What is a Woman? That's been grabbing a lot of media attention lately. Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on both of those?
2: Sure, yeah. So the documentary, I've watched like the first 10 minutes. I'm going to watch the rest of that tonight. So I can't speak too, too much to sure. that because I haven't seen it in full. But um, I you know, I did look into the, uh, I think it was the Texas, it was some uh, gay bar. They had a, a type of drag show out with the kids. And I, I think that that's it's, it's a really a tragic thing that people don't, take the time to really understand what the nature of that event is because to me i mean it it's just so obvious that it's this is adult entertainment it's you know it's very sexual in nature there's strip teases you know obviously the gyrations and stuff like that the stuff they do is obviously very sexual so i mean people who are in denial about that just it's, it's just like have you lost any sense of like a difference between someone acting out in a kind of like purient sexual interest and not like do you not see any you know boundaries or any lines there because to me it's just it's just bizarre that anyone could think that that's you know not nothing or just totally benign at all now again if it's just adults whatever that's up to them it, you know it's they're free to choose to do so i think that parents you know doing that i think that's really tragic for their kids because the younger a child is um, the more susceptible they are to having influences on their mind that cause them to you know either become addicted or to really start to myopically focus on a certain thing, especially if it's sexuality, drugs, or even just bad food, whatever it is, you know, kids are susceptible to that as their brain is developing and they have, you know, their plasticity is, is still there, you know, and, and what they experience can really have a, a long-term impact. So to me, it, it's sad. I think that, you know, parents shouldn't be doing that. Uh, it's, you know, clearly something that is meant to try to inculcate kids with, the excitement of doing this because they're trying to get them to participate in it of all things, which to me is like bonkers, you know, even like some people try to rationalize, like, Oh, they were just putting dollar bills in or something I'm like, are you like, what? like how out of touch to reality do you have to be to like, the not connect that. Okay. You're, you're trying to get your kids to like wrap their identities around, you know, s- sexual dancing displays, you know, for yeah. money when they're a little kid, like, what do you like uh, So, you know, to me, I, I just try to focus it on those broader concepts of, um, helping people recognize the impacts they have in their kids. Cause it's, it goes beyond drag shows. It, it goes, it goes to everything. It goes to whether it's, you know, too much violence or too much of, you know, high fructose corn syrup and stuff like that. And kids, you know, get obese and they have, you know, bad food. There's, there's so many different ways, you know, epigenetically and, and with food that you can really do harm to kids. Um, you know, if, if you're not careful, because it's, again, they're just more susceptible. to so changes and the, the chemical changes in the brain, you know, that, that can happen. So, you know, for me, that's, that's just what I try to focus on. I'm, I'm not too much of a fan of government involvement, just like I am with anything. Like, I, I don't know that uh, the state is the solution in, in any of these cases. And I even was pushing back the other day with someone, because I was like, oh, okay, so, you know, you don't like this, but are you saying you want like CPS to come in, and take the kids? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, okay here we go and then i like gave them all these facts and data about how if you're you know in the foster system you are like crazy crazily more likely to be forcibly medicated on ssris you're way more likely to be physically and sexually abused and stuff like that so i'm like yeah you know that sounds nice if you don't actually like take five minutes to look and say okay well what's that experience like for most kids you know in, in the system i'm like you're you know so when people are advocating for these i'm like you're not necessarily making it better here. You're, you're making it more likely that they're going to be forcibly, you know, medicated by psychiatrists, you know, state psychiatrists, the worst ones, of course. Um, who, in response to these kids' trauma, instead of like, you know, actually dealing with with the actual issues and you know, talking through them, looking at their their diet and environment, are like, yeah, just take some pills. You know, very common. It's 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 because it's a big business with garments another one of those cronies and things, right? You know. Hey foster system! Oh, we have connected crony deals to you know make sure that every kid is you know, pushed to have all these different drugs that the state pays for. So, you know, I, I just try to get people to have some reality checks about that. Again, it's it's not that I'm necessarily saying oh that that home life is the best thing in the world right now. I and mean, obviously the parents need help. But I just don't think that um, jumping to the state is the solution to the problem is wise either, especially in light of the consequences of of going through that system. And you know, there are some people who. They have and have been, you know, rightfully saved and did get a, a second chance at life because they, you know, left parents who are just too strung out to take care of them and they're being neglected. It, you know, there are some cases, but I'd say in my experience, you know, being a former juvenile defense attorney, having a lot of research into juvenile issues, uh, talking with people who have been through that system, and you know, doing some research on it. You know, Carlos Morales, he has you know the case against you know, child protective services book. It's a great book to read, you know, to give you a sense of what can go on in there. I I just find it to be more likely than not that going to that system is going to lead to more harm and some problems in, in in most cases. Again, it's not like, you know, good things can't happen. It's just, again, if we're talking about, you know, what are the repercussions here? I mean, you're not necessarily getting to a safer, healthier place. And in fact, you may be doing things to them that um, can have their own long-term detrimental health effects, especially if they get stuff like Risperdal with, you know, serious side effects, you know, on the mind and on the body. So.
1: Yeah. And in regards to legality, like you said, you don't think the state should intervene. I agree. Um, and because of those situations, but I mean, if those kids in Texas were at uh, a, an establishment where those people were women and they were dancing for money, that would have been illegal. It's illegal to bring your kids into to strip clubs already, you know, in Texas. And for that reason, because it's adult entertainment, it's not, it's not for children, but this is all being done in like this, the name of like trans and, and gay rights. And there's they're not gaining any rights by this right they're like going after children is not going to somehow make trans rights even better like there's no there's no persecution of trans and gays in america anymore there were and and recently you know like gays couldn't marry what seven years ago you couldn't get married if you were gay and that was a big deal like people deserve equal rights and now we have equal rights all the all the gays and lesbians and trans people do have equal rights. But when you go after the children, that's when a problem arises. You know, Dave Smith had an awesome tweet the other day. He said, gay and trans people deserve all the same rights as everybody else. But the truth is, in our country, they have all these rights. There's no real debate on that. There is a debate about what children should and shouldn't be exposed to or allowed to do, which is perfectly reasonable. And I think that's where the debate is right now. But there, everybody who tries to call that out is seen as transphobic, homophobic, or everything else like this. It's like we discussed this with – um with Renette Sinem, the, the, the gubernatorial candidate for California on Monday, about how why did, there's this push to go after children. And she gave a pretty provo- thought provoking response about making them more impressionable and easier to control. What, is, what are your thoughts on that? Why do you think that there's this big push to go after children, uh, you know, and with the, from this, of uh, 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 an extreme sect of the LGBTQ crowd? Cause it's certainly not everybody. There's there's trans activists out there who are like, quit going after the children. You make us look like pedophiles. Every time you try to sexualize children, you make us look bad. You know, and this is you're painting the whole trans and gay community as a bunch of people that want to go after children. That's not necessarily what's happening. There's an extreme part of that that is going after children. And uh, so what, what do you think? What, what do you think their motivation is behind this?
2: Sure. Well, going after children is is age old for any type of institutional organization looking to indoctrinate the next generation. I mean, it's, it's precisely sure. why the government has public schooling or, you know, state schooling, compulsory schooling, because they know that if they can get young people in and early uh, trauma bond them to the teachers there, you know, through the shame and strictures of having to perform or else they get labeled with, you know, an F and failure mark. Um, they know that they can get people to associate uh, early the quote, unquote, need for government control because they can't imagine anything, you know, outside of it. By the time they graduate, they, you know, question how anything could get made without the state because they're like, oh, well, how, you know, how would we get roads and stuff like that? Because all they know is like, okay, the government needs to tell me what to do hour by hour, minute by minute, or things don't run, right? So um, this idea of, of trying to reach children on that end, you know, the idea of trying to reach children in, in marketing advertising, obviously, people who are, you um, You know, major corporations try to do things to reach kids because they know if they can create a positive association uh, with a child, that can last for a lifetime. I mean, that includes, you know, musicians, right? If you hear a certain song as a kid, maybe you're 12 or 13, you're on the radio, that might be like a time of your life where things are exciting and and it can stick with you for the rest of your life. If you have a positive association with a certain diner or something like that where you used to go, like for the rest of your life, that can have a positive association that, you know, you fondly think of it. So, I think that in, you know, this same vein, they're trying to reach kids to create in their minds, what are positive associations and, you know, good quote unquote times so that kids for the rest of their lives will of course associate anything within the LGBT I can't, whatever the letters are at this point, I don't even, I'm gonna try. <laughs> uh, whatever it is, the alphabet, A to Z, whatever. Uh, they try to associate that for life you know, with them. I mean, that, that's the ultimate goal, because if you can get a child to have it normalized for them, um, you know, and especially if it's in a positive sense, again, if, if it's a fun activity or something that seems like silly or goofy or just, you know, whatever, good food, a, a parade, um, that can be a positive association. So if you have a positive association, you have a, a built-in um, either defender or fan potentially for life. And the big problem here, of course, is that some of these activities that they're trying to put on these kids are not benign in any sense of the word? You know, this this is not exactly uh, he, you know hanging out like just eating hot dogs and watching you know a little show or something like that. This is highly sexualized content uh, with people whose goal is to express a, a very specifically gender, sexuality, identity um, with sexual moves and, and sexual language. I think they had like the "it ain't gonna look itself" thing. Um, you know, at that club again, they're not talking about Tootsie Pops here. So it's it's something that is is very clearly geared toward bringing about a focus on sexuality and sexual identity. And so the ultimate aim of that, in my opinion, is that if kids are um, focused on that, they're not really doing anything to build themselves up in terms of their virtues, their character, their business skills, their communication, their independence. Right? If all you're focused on is, oh my gosh, uh what product am I going to use at noon? And then what, what product am I going to use at 8 PM tonight? And, oh, I got to change my hair. I got to change myself. Oh, you know, I, I, I got to keep, you know, being fluid and, and showing that this is my true self. You're not really doing anything, um, you know, productive for yourself that gains you actual intellectual power, financial power, emotional power, and healthy relationships. So the more dysfunction they can breed with this, uh, the more broken people will be as they grow up because, that's what they wrap up everything in, um, and, and that's going to ultimately ultimately be traumatic for them because of the confusion that ensues with with trying to figure out their identities and like switch around with relationships and partners and having lots of you know broken relationships stuff like that. So it's not unique, of course, to to that field. It's just an enhancement of that behavior of that constant cycle of of trying to change it and confusion about self identity. Um, As opposed to actually doing things that meaningfully build up one's thinking skills, uh, financial independence, communication skills, and good relationships and and things like that. So, you know, that's what I see as as the core type of, um, you know, dysfunction and manipulation that goes on and trying to get kids wrapped up in that.
0: It's a great answer, dude. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited for you guys to to watch that documentary. I I don't know if you've started it, Matt, but... Actually, I think there's a, a third incentive there as well. At the end of the movie, they kind of talk about it with uh, uh, a woman or a, a man who did transition into a, a, or excuse me, a woman who did transi- transition into a man. But apparently it's big business for pharma and, and doctors too. Uh, apparently, um, don't quote me on this. I don't know if I have the number specifically right, but it's definitely close. Uh, for every kid that transitions, it's like a $1.3 million paycheck to doctors, big pharma for the surgery, uh, for all the drugs, the puberty blockers. Um, so there is incentive as well from big pharma. We know how, you know, deep, uh, how deeply entangled the, the web of big pharma is too within society. So you can only imagine, uh, you know, what they're trying to plot and plan behind the scenes as far as promoting this specific ideology. Um, so yeah, that's, it's definitely uh, some sinister stuff there. Uh, I think there's probably more behind the scenes. Unfortunately, I think the parents that are involved in this are just kind of useful idiots. Uh, I hate to say it. Um, I think they feel like they're trying to do something for the cause or do something for humanity, for equality. But unfortunately, it just seems like it's uh, there's too many indicators pointing at the opposite. Um, so let's switch it up a little bit here. Um, I, I did want to talk just briefly about the LP and what's going on uh, with with them. So I did uh, ask Pete Quinonez and Sally Mayweather the same question when they were on our show a few months back. But And I know you're involved with the Mises Caucus, like casually, I don't know if you'd you really do too much. I know you're supportive of them. Um, but like, is this compromising? And this is kind of a big question. I know it's maybe not so much a, a topic anymore, but a few years ago, this is kind of a, a big topic within the anarchist community is by like taking on the caucus and the LP, is this kind of compromising our principles by using the political apparatus to fix the political apparatus? And is there a moral dilemma there as, as principled anarchists?
2: Yeah, so yeah, this is a great question, of course, that, you know, lots of people love debating and talking about. Um, and for me, I am, of course, a voluntarist through, through anarcho-capitalist. So I am 100% for, um, you know, reaching an ultimate stateless society, if, you know, possible. So for me, um, the the ideas here uh, about what participation is uh, and, and whether it validates it, you know, I think even harkens back to Lysander Spooner, where he talked about the ideas of voting and saying, well, you know, when you vote and someone's trying to lessen the oppression on them, um, just because you're forced into a battle and you're suddenly like, oh, crap, a bunch of people are trying to kill me and you defend yourself doesn't mean that you're consenting or wanting to be in this battle. It's just people are attacking you and you're literally just trying to be like, hey, I'm trying to survive here. So. I take that view of, you know, defensive voting and trying to dismantle the state in whatever ways you can in that way is not consenting to the the, the system at large. Um, and I would say that I probably differ from some of the more modern voluntarists uh, in that realm, because a lot of them are very apolitical. And their views are just that, you know, if you participate, you're validating it, and so on and so forth. I'd say my view is more so that I am trying to actually dismantle and break down the narratives of the state in every avenue possible. I don't believe that political is the end-all, be-all solution. Absolutely not at all. Um, it's just one of the avenues among many in a giant pipeline, a, a whole liberty, you know, economy. You can say of trying to yeah. get people to have their minds changed. And I, I think that it's, it's actually important to get involved in every arena. Not that each person has to, but just the idea that pe- there are people getting involved. Everything from education, uh, you know, businesses, art. Music, you know, blogs, vlogs, podcasting—you're doing and stuff like that. Um, you know, whatever it is, it, it's important that the message of liberty is spread into all those types of channels and all those niches and all those industries. Um, because without it, people are not necessarily going to hear it. They're not going to, you know, get it out there. Because, as you well know, the government and the collusion with uh, certain social media companies and, and big giant media corporations is, is there to try to suppress those voices and to keep others from hearing it. So. Um, when it comes to the nature of the LP itself specifically, I also like to just you know, simply push back in a couple ways and and just remind people that the libertarian party itself is a corporation, right? It's just a, it's just a business that's, you know, a fundraising corporation. So even that apparatus itself is not the state. It's just a bunch of people who they get money and then they choose, to use that money in different ways. And some of the ways they use that is for hosting events, bringing in speakers, doing social media outreach. And on top of that, of course, doing uh, initiatives, whether it's like a ballot initiative or running candidates, stuff like that. The candidates part is, is in some ways kind of um, a smaller portion of the time um, as opposed to what is, you know, most of the time being spent, which is doing different types of outreach engagement and events and stuff like that. So, you know in, in terms of what the LPS as a whole, you're you're spending actually probably less of the organizational and orchestrational time on just the candidacy as much as messaging in and of itself, right? Um, I mean, especially since you know their wins overall haven't been even that big yet. They've grown, of course, you had the first technical, you know, libertarian uh congressman, you know, with Amash switching. You had the first selected libertarian in Wyoming in their house uh, legislature. So you know, there are definitely changes and there's definitely some interesting signs coming up. But um, for me, I like the LP um, in terms of a messaging apparatus because it stands out from the mainstream Republican Democrats who have this, of course, long and terrible history, right? So even the people complain, well, the LP hasn't been affected. They're like, okay, great. At least they haven't been responsible for funding drone bombings and mass murder and incarcerating people. Like you could sit there and complain about Lack of effectiveness. Yeah, but I'll take lack of effectiveness over being effective at theft and murder. Right. So um, but the but the reality is, is that now um, more than ever, uh, the LPMC's uh, takeover is, is something that I think should be celebrated and, and should be looked at as an opportunity to do more outreach, networking and collaboration, because the people who are now in those positions are are actually much more interested in ethics and economics education. They're trying to get people to understand the consequences of intervention and blowback, the consequences of inflation, you know, with with money printing, or I should say currency printing, and and so on and so forth. And they're doing so by networking with with people who have good audiences and are doing good work independently. And I think those are some of the failures, and in my opinion, just intentional failures, because I do believe that some of the people who were involved before, um, were intentionally uh, being destructive and hampering the party intentionally. Um, but now, you know, those things are off. And now there's actually this this chance to work with a broad-based coalition of people who um, have great work Private right. I think like Maj Terray, for example, and his amazing activism, like going to the actual inner cities and training people on firearm safety and CPR and helping them understand like the government's not there to protect you, think outside the state. I think that's just wonderful. And so I'm very hopeful for what they're doing. Um again, any one thing is not the end all be all, but I do believe that people who spend their time and resources with them will be seeing fruit because the people who are there are very serious about the principles of liberty, and they are very competent and capable of orchestrating uh, and 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 managing it, and and negotiating it and getting things done, um, especially when it comes to the educational ethics outreach ballot initiatives and stuff like that. So I, I anticipate that people are going to be shocked and. Delightfully so at the changes that come up in terms of how the messaging goes. I mean, you've already probably seen if you've been on Twitter, you've seen there's already been a lot of changes there. Yeah. You're yeah. going to be really delightfully surprised at the types of people brought to events and speakers and things like that, because it's, it's just so important that if people are pipelining down, they're coming down from something, whether it's, you know, maybe Democrat, Republican or Independent and maybe they're not all the way there yet to being a principled, voluntarist, libertarian, small L. You you need something there for people to meaningfully learn. And if you don't have it, then you're gonna have someone that just flakes off and goes away. And I've seen this time and again because I've done LP stuff, you know, now also as well for you know almost 15 years as well. So you know, I've, I've seen it time and again that the people who come in and out, and they're curious, but they don't get engaged with the serious ethics and economics, and they don't actually really, you know, focus on those things and really internalize them. They're the ones who are going to turn away at the next hot button issue that comes up. It's like, oh, I can't stick around for this, you know, whatever. I, I need to focus on this social justice issue. I need to focus on, you know, fighting the, the government in this way with you know, Trump or whatever. So you you need people to actually have the meaningful foundations built. And I think that you're gonna see those foundations actually finally being built and having events where people come and they hear speakers where they get inspired and they learn something and they take away that with, you know, actual good books, you know, learning about learning economics and ethics and things like that. So
0: Yeah, we really have to give it up to Mike Heiss, man. That guy has been busting his ass and hustling. I mean, me and Matt went to the first Mises Caucus event in 2018 in in New Orleans. Yeah, cheers. Cheers to Mike because he definitely (laughs) deserves it. But, uh, yeah, and to see how much he's he's grown in and the momentum, the groundswell, and the community that he's built within the caucus. I mean, it it really is something, and he he deserves a lot of credit and respect. And uh, yeah, Maj Teray, he's a, a former Free Thought Project podcast guest, so definitely go back into our archives and check him out. And uh, yeah, we know the libertarian outreach uh, theory and method works. I mean, look at the goat, right? Ron Paul. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I think at least uh, Matt and myself are, are partially responsible for being voluntarist right now because of Ron Paul's work and his message. So. I know we're uh, getting close here to wrapping up i did want to talk about your book briefly though um what was the impetus behind writing your new book the definitive guide to libertarian voluntarism and uh how has the response been so far
2: sure so yeah you can see it there they've got yeah yeah you got some cool paper there yeah that nice Love nice yeah so this uh, this book um was just basically a passion project after many years of, you know, writing articles and debating and talking to people and reading other books. I I just got to a point where I'm like, you know, there is just not one single book here where I'm like, okay, this can really just get you to understand the foundations across the board. I, I just really did not feel like, or think that there was something that was short to the point digestible, anybody could just kind of pick up, get the definitions down, get the, you know, the main practical applications down and then have at least a springboard for further reading after too. Cause I, you know, obviously cite to a lot of other books as well. I don't, um, you know, just copy paste a bunch of other people's stuff. I, you know, I, I definitely did not want to do that where I'm just, you know, here's block text from other books. No, I, I wrote <laughs> my own material. I had my own arguments and novel stuff, um, and contributions as well but I did summarize some things from, from great thinkers as well. Um, you know, whether you know, it was Rothbard or Mises can whoever. So I just was, you know, ready. I was, I was ready to finally put together something that I thought you can give to most anybody and they can at least understand what it is that you're saying and where you're coming from. And uh, I just, I had not seen anything like that and, and that's across many different, um, authors that I have lots of niche indie authors and stuff that you know is maybe not as popular. I'd say one of the closer ones um, that you know comes close to what I did is Beyond the Government Haunted World. So Xander Mars, he's an acquaintance of mine too. His book is it's a comic book guide, so it's comic book form, but it's really good. It's it's definitely up there on one of the ones that comes closest to what I do. And I, of course, I'd recommend this all day. I'd say read this too; it's great. Um, but th- there's just very you know, a few guides that really do that in a, in a succinct direct manner that breaks down the definitions and the key terms, um, instead of debating like, well, what does non-aggression principle mean? And you know, what does, you know, self-ownership mean and stuff like that. So I, I was just like, you know, what? it's, it, it's just time. So I put together. Um, half of it was like articles I'd written over the course of many years and the other half I like wrote in an afternoon and I edited it over weeks. It's fun, helped me with some of the, you know, the editing and stuff like that and just, you know, get some clarity. And then I, you know, worked to put it together and had a, you know, Obviously, a great artist. Uh, Igor, he uh, worked with me on the cover, so he did a great job putting on some of those uh forefathers of thought people I really respect on there. So, yeah, it's and it's been overall surprisingly successful. I I wasn't expecting it to be as successful as it was, honestly. <laughs> you right. to, you know, like Liberty books, I mean, it's something like yeah, maybe I'll have 10 20 copies, I don't know who knows, but it's been way more successful, than I imagine. So,
1: hell yeah, man, congrats on that. I, I'm gonna have to check that out. <clears throat> uh, you want to tell people about your uh, your the Voluntarius too. I uh, before we got on the podcast, I was actually looking for the um, a copy of it. I had I had the last one from your last Indiegogo campaign, and I was going to show it off like you were showing those books off. But I think it's in my my son's room. <clears throat> yeah,
2: but, no, I can definitely uh, talk about that. So right now we are um, currently funding on the. The tenth anniversary, uh, sixth issue for the Canon Origin story. So I've been doing the Voluntarius comic series now for ten years, and so we have this right. big indigo campaign right now going on, uh, specifically finishing up the sixth title in the Origins arc, and then in addition to that, uh, we're going to be remastering the first two issues because uh, that company that I work with went defunct, So I want to have my new penciler kind of redo that, do a little bit better on the uh, bubble layouts in the first issue, and then put that all into one trade paperback title. So um, it's it's been a pretty cool journey being able to actually work on a comic book series that uh, really integrates the message of liberty at its core. It's not a preachy comic. So I try to emphasize that the people that, no, yeah, it's imperious, it's right? It's, but it's it's not like, you know, some 60s Batman thing where it's like, you know, you're a villain and this is what you need to think. No, it's, it's, it's definitely just like a regular story with a unique set of circumstances and, and intriguing character development and unveiling mystery that instead of the norm, which, in, you know, most comic books is the government is either good or it just has a few bad apples and they need to fix those bad apples, right? So this this is sure. just the idea that government is not default seen as the ethical norm and is actually shown to be you know the true aggressor that those in the state are and it does so you know in an intriguing captivating story you know in a superhero genre story uh, about this young man's fight against the state as they try to enslave humanity once for all, and, and especially after they kidnap his parents, you know, after he's affected by a cosmic radiation event and things like that. So, it's got all the you know signs of the typical superhero genre stuff, but with a, a much different uh, twist and a much different
1: dialogue set. Definitely, we need that guy today, man. <laughs> if only if the voluntarist was fucking real, right? <laughs> well, uh, man, since we're getting toward the end of the uh, the the show here, would you like to plug uh, anything else? Like uh, your Indiegogo campaign, man? You went over a thousand dollars more than uh than what you were asking for. I love that, but still, we're gonna we're gonna send people that direction. But uh, tell everybody else where they can find you, how they can help, uh, you know, get involved, or whatever.
2: Absolutely. Plus, yes. So, um, yeah, exactly. So the uh, campaign, yeah, we're hundred percent funded already. We actually did that within the first 30 days. So it's been the highest funded, fastest funded campaign of all time. We broke through the first stretch goal. So backers are even getting a bonus art perk already. And they're getting a bonus, you know, sticker that we did for, you know, reaching goal. And that's over on Indiegogo. So you could just go to Indiegogo and type it in. I also gave you guys a link, the short link to the origin six campaign there too. But, um, you know, it's something that I think has been a long time coming. I think this this final wrap up here is going to actually be uh, the masterpiece needed to really break more into the mainstream. And we already have been. We've been doing some interviews with, with Comicscape people, people who, you know, left the mainstream uh, comic books industry because they got tired of you know the the go woke over it disney and dc and netflix and amazon and it's just people who are tired of it so we've been we've been doing that track too doing outreach there just talking about the story and how it's a unique thing and you know in addition to that uh you know comic book series of course i do a bunch of other stuff uh we just did a music video called i did not consent that's me and the philosopher just did a music video uh you know titled i did not consent and that music video talks a lot about the different ways the government oppresses people and, and how people don't consent to those things. And with the music video, we even include a little Easter egg at the end with us charging up, you know, and uh, you know, basically become the superhero characters to tie into the volunteers at the end. So uh, the philosopher work is something I, do, you know, produce content for, and she's great. You know, she has uh, her channel on, on YouTube on, on Facebook and things like that, but you can connect, with her stuff or my stuff, uh, mostly from uh, The Philosopher, that's T-H-E and then P-H-O, so pho, it's like a Vietnamese noodle dish, so instead of the I with philosopher, it's a P-H-O, the thephilosopher.com, or my comic book website, uh, Volcomic, that's V is in victory, O-L-C-O-M-I-C, so Comic com, I would say those two websites at least they have links to many of other projects and channels and stuff like that. So, you know, one of those two websites will connect us to connect you up to us and and see what it is that we we got going on because we're always doing new creative stuff. We have some other stuff actually in the works. Some of I can't talk about yet, um, but one of the things I, I could is that I at at least tentatively we do plan to do another music video um, later this year. Hopefully, the Florida Man music video because we really want to do that <laughs> and get that nice. to be in- Big team. Yeah. We're, we're trying to get like a bunch of Liberty people to, you know, cameo in it and, to you know, have some really fun outfits for that music video. So might be something you're interested in. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do that big, hopefully, uh, in November, you know, doing the campaign through, uh, January. So.
1: Hell yeah. I wanted to, uh, before we do our outro, I wanted to play this video, man. Um, I, I, I found it the other day. And so if if y'all are cool with that, Jason, you cool with that? We got time for that. Yeah, Yeah. Okay, yeah, awesome, course. man. So one second here, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna play that.
2: Yo, just being real right now. I did not sign on to jack shit. I did not consent. I did not consent. I did not consent. I did not consent i did not
3: consent i did not consent to all these evil endless wars and i did not consent to you robbing me for the poor and i did not consent to the drug wars prohibition the mass incarceration crony clandestine vision and i did not consent to throwing children into prisons they call it public schools really stated superstitions and i did not consent to the phony fed reserve be forced to fill the banker's pockets undeserved, and I did not consent to the taxes on my land. A neo-feudal slavery asserted by the taxman, and I did not consent to a draft or conscription. My body's not your property for military missions. I do not consent. I will not be silent. These status shackles cannot stop my liberation sirens. I do not consent. I will not be silent. These status shackles cannot stop. My- Cyrus. That's in admission by tyrants to the death. death. Fuck being enslaved on a prison planet complex. The info war that's for your mind, your body, soul, and status. Waste my pedal politicians, whole world ravaged. I did not consent to the nasty no knock raids. Murder, left, Breonna Taylor, and a babes. I did not consent to victimless crime laws. The innocent locked up over milk and straws. I did not consent to Operation Mockingbird. MK Ultra experiments and fake news. Blurbs, and I did not consent to being ruled by a few Different not possess the standards, one for them, one for you I do not consent, I will not be silenced These status shackles cannot stop my liberation sirens I do not consent, I will not be silenced These status shackles cannot stop my liberation sirens I will not comply with the new world order The system of obedience and I will not comply with shut down threats Life's not worth living in a cave with no bread That's right, this world is ruled by a bunch of sick psychopaths You think voting's gonna change that? Ha! <laughs> think again! You gotta change minds, you gotta change the culture You gotta stay strapped 24-7 This is our last chance Take a stand
1: Dude. Oh, yeah, man, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> could, you could feel the passion coming through with your voice. I <laughs> love the production
2: value too, man.
1: Yeah, dude, that was really well done, man. I Thank mean, you. bravo on that. Thank
2: you, and big ups to Jason Rink for uh, helping us out in that. He's a real OG, he's been doing um, a lot of Liberty productions, and uh, he actually was what did the nullification film with Tom Woods back in the day and, and Bolden and stuff like that back like 2012. So, oh, so,
0: wow, yeah. And that's yeah, just uh, one of many of your videos too, right? I mean, you have a bunch of different music videos that uh, people can delve into uh, when they're checking out your work.
2: Definitely, definitely.
0: But uh, unless there's anything else, Matt. Um, oh, you're also on Twitter and Instagram too, right? Let's just, and uh, Facebook. I, I mean, pretty I mean, much all of the Instagram, mind, Twitter,
2: Facebook, Minds, Float, MeWe. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. You can see, <laughs> it. Right. Um, Let me see if I missed anything. There's probably something more that I'm missing. You know, we have our websites, you know. It's Odyssey. Yeah, uh, we're everywhere. It's
0: hard to keep up with all of it. <laughs> it's sure. hard to keep no, up. No, and too. it's good, man. It's so important to to spread the net out wide, too. Like that, as you mm-hmm. know, we've all experienced some form of censorship. But brother yeah. Jack, dude, thank you so much, man. You're a liberty rock star. Um, you're dedicated to the cause of freedom and your pursuit to liberate, to liberate, liberate minds is second to none. Uh, I certainly can't wait to see what the future endeavors you take on. And of course, more music videos from both you and fo. And uh, thanks for joining us today, man. And thank you for your endless dedication to nonviolence, peace and prosperity.
2: Oh, thank you guys too. I mean, you guys are also OGs. So we, we've always kept up with your work and know all about your struggles with the government coming after you. Time it again, try to censor you. I mean, I know, I mean, personally, I can tell you just how far your work has gotten. I mean, to the point where even my uh, more lefty sister was like sharing your content and stuff like that before the wow. government, you know, and the whole, you know, uh, you know shut down stuff and, and then try to take out, you know, the 800 pages they went after. So I'm, I'm well aware of the things that you guys do. And I definitely try to share and, you know, do what I can to, to let people know about your guys' work to keep the spirit alive because it's it's tough. I mean, it's tough when you're actually you know in the crosshairs. So it's it's impressive that you guys have yeah. still been able to keep it up. So,
1: thank you, man. Yeah, it means a lot. Thank
0: you, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's certainly not easy, but we're we're trying our best and uh, we're gonna keep going regardless. So, yeah. well, enjoy your day, man. Thank you so much for your time today, and we'll have to do it again.
2: Hell yeah, of course. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it.
1: Peace.